Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning, Cape Cod Church. How are you all doing this morning? It is good to be here with you this morning, and if you weren't here last weekend, you might have missed the update, but Pastor Ben and Tammy, my parents, are away on vacation, a well-deserved vacation for two weeks. They will actually, they'll be back with us next weekend, but in the meantime, I have the privilege of being here with you. I've also been holding down the fort at home. Thank you to those of you who gave me advice last week on how to cut fresh flowers and have them on the kitchen table without starting an ant farm in my kitchen. I appreciate that. I needed that. And I am happy to report that everyone so far, and we are so close to the finish line, everyone in the house is still alive. So that is good news. We are so close. And I'm happy to report that they will be back with us next weekend. Uh, If this is your first time and you're a pop music fan, you might have actually recognized that last song that we just sang. In fact, you might even be confused, like, why am I hearing this in church right now? What's going on? But we are in the middle of a lyrics series. We often do this in the summer times. In our lyrics series, we always feature one popular level secular song as a way to listen to what the culture has to say on a variety of topics. Because we know that culture speaks through art and oftentimes, and in this case, through music. And when we listen to what culture has to say, we have the opportunity to lean in and to sometimes to affirm things that are to be celebrated that are true. In other cases, to maybe trouble some assumptions that need to be troubled. And in some cases, and this is going to be the case today, to answer questions or longing that culture speaks out and that scripture has an answer for. And I'll tell you, some songs, uh, some weeks, are easier to find songs for than others, depending on the topic that we're approaching. But this week, when I went to Alan and we talked about the topic for this weekend, we had so many options for good songs. And the one that we had today, I think, is just perfect. But we had so many options. And the reason being is, the thing that we're going to talk about today is a very common human experience. And it's a common human experience that doesn't discriminate based on wealth or status. It doesn't discriminate between your average Joe and your celebrity artist. Today, we are going to talk about the feeling of emptiness, dissatisfaction, a feeling deep down in your soul that there must be something more than the life that I'm living the sense that I'm not as happy as I thought I would be, despite the fact that I have done many of the things that I wanted to do. It turns out this is a very common experience. And if you're here this morning and you would say, yeah, that's me. When I slow down just long enough to feel my soul, there's just something there that feels like it's missing, unsatisfied, restless. And if you're here this morning and that's you, I want you to know you're not alone. In fact, I'm not just talking to those of you who may not yet be Christians. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, but you're exploring faith in Jesus, we are so glad you are here. And today is a perfect day to be here. But if you're here and you... And yet, I admit, I sometimes still feel that way. Today is a good day for you, too. Because it turns out that you can still have faith and be a follower of Jesus and still in your quiet moments have this experience of dissatisfaction. 
But when you are a Christian, there's this temptation to assume that that must not be right. I know the answer, right? I know the answer. Jesus is supposed to help me live fully, and therefore that feeling can't be true. And there's a tendency, there's a temptation to hide it, to suppress it, to ignore it. And if we're not careful, if we ignore that feeling, what will happen is that instead of going away, when we hide it, it will grow and grow and grow until it overwhelms us and blindsides us and confuses us because we have this sense that this isn't the way that I'm meant to feel what's going on. And in our worst state, it can make us feel like hypocrites. But this morning, I want you to know that you can be a follower of Jesus and still have this experience. But fortunately, the Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, has a bit of advice to help us out with this experience. So this morning, we continue in our study in Philippians in chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. And uh, the singer of today's song, Louis Capaldi, gives us a really good starting point. Now, if you're not familiar, Louis Capaldi uh, hit it big almost overnight in 2019 with his uh, hit sim single, Somebody You Loved. And he almost overnight topped the charts in the UK. He broke the world record for longest running top single in the UK by a British artist. He rose to international fame. And in the last five years, he has achieved every reasonable marker of success for a musical artist. And yet, this past March, after about five years of being on tour producing music, this past March, he released this song, How I'm Feeling Now. It is the last song in his latest album, almost like the final note, the final word on this is how I'm feeling now. And if you paid attention this morning, it's pretty grim. I'll read a couple of verses for you in case you missed it. He says, so here's to my beautiful life that seems to leave me so unsatisfied. No sense of self, but self-obsessed. I'm always stuck in my head. And it goes on and on and on. When the song premiered, he actually released an explanation on Instagram to explain to his fans, and he wrote this, the last five years have been the best of my life, but there have been a number of times where I've not felt as happy as I grew up thinking I would be if I got to this point in my career and in my life. And I've never really shared or written about the times I felt my lowest, and this song is about exactly that. I hope you enjoy it. Have you ever felt that way? In your quiet moments, just admitting, I'm not as happy as I thought I would be based on where I am. Fortunately, Paul has an answer for us. If you turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So what does this have to do with being dissatisfied with life? 
I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 20. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. And we actually talked about this idea of heavenly citizenship back in June. And Pastor Ben reminded us, informed us, that the Philippians, this church in the city of Philippi, was actually a Roman colony. It was a Greek city that had been in fact, it had been colonized after a series of military victories in which there were tens of thousands of soldiers who were left over. And rather than bring them into Rome, which would have been difficult to handle as well as challenging for the empire, they actually gave them the city of Philippi to colonize. And so this idea of citizenry, of being an alien living in a neighboring land with allegiance to a far-off empire or emperor would have been very familiar to the Philippians. And the thing that's interesting about this that we should know is that the idea of being a citizen of a colony was not that you would someday rejoin the capital city. The people who lived in Philippi knew very well that their future was Philippi, that their home was Philippi. They weren't waiting or expecting to move back to Rome, but they did know that they had allegiance to Rome, that they were there to settle and help produce Roman culture in that area, that they were loyal to this capital city back home, but that this was their new home. So when we hear about citizens of heaven, Paul is calling on this metaphor, which has been very familiar to the Philippians, and he's saying, this is the same experience that you have here on earth. Oftentimes when we hear this, and particularly if you've been a Christian for a very long time, we read this passage and we think, oh, someday we are gonna go join Jesus in the clouds. And while it's true that we will sometimes, we will someday rejoin Jesus, that's actually not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, you have a home here on earth. And while you are a citizen of a larger kingdom, a greater kingdom with a capital city that is far off from you where our King Jesus resides, this is your home. And you have work to do right where you are. You have a job to do here. Paul wants to tell us that you and I were made for a purpose on this earth. And here's why that's so important. Because if it's true that you and I were made for a purpose, when we fail to fulfill our purpose, we will feel empty, dissatisfied, and restless because we were made for something greater. Many of you know that my family has a family dog. Really, it's my mom's dog. She is, our dog's name is Ruby. She is the favorite child. It's my mom's dog, but it's family dog in some sense. And one thing that I find really endearing about our family dog is that she likes to pout, and she's really good at it. You know that phrase, puppy eyes? Ruby, like, has mastered the puppy eyes. And I don't know what other dogs pout about, because I've only really ever had an experience with Ruby, but Ruby pouts when other people leave the house. So she doesn't care about food, she doesn't care about treats, she's actually pretty good about not begging, but when I leave the house in the morning, she full-on pouts, and she has mastered this skill. She will actually leave wherever she's at, she will leave the front of the house, move to a couch, and sit backwards facing the backyard so she doesn't even have to look at you. It's unbelievable. 
she'll like turn her head away. If you try and come over, she'll turn her head away on her paws. Like, I'm so disappointed that you're leaving me. And this happens every time. I, and I know it's happening because usually she's running around the house. She follows us around everywhere. I'm like, wait a second, where's Ruby? She's hiding in a corner, ignoring me because she wants me to know she is upset that I am leaving. And this is true for like all of our family members during the holidays. It's particularly heartbreaking because we'll have a bunch of people leave at one time. She's like devastated and depressed. She's in the corner for hours at a time. But, and it's, and it's cute, but it's also heartbreaking. But at the same time, I can recognize that the reason that Ruby pouts is actually in some sense because she was made for community. If you remember when we got this adorable puppy, they actually did these like personality tests. Ruby is a golden doodle, which apparently is a very popular breed. She's hypoallergenic, but they're also really good as therapy dogs and as comfort dogs. So because of this, when they're born, they do like all of this, uh, this is wild, but personality testing for dogs. It's like more intense than any personality test you and I have ever taken online, but they do it to see what kind of skills they have that would make them be productive or not productive therapy dogs. And Ruby scored pretty high on many of those traits for a therapy dog. And we didn't train her in that way, but it's in her DNA. She was made for companionship, for community. And so when people leave the house, she feels that and she's upset and she pouts a little bit because she's not a well-trained therapy dog, so we have to go comfort her. But... She was made for this. So when she misses it, she feels upset. Maybe a little bit empty inside. Do you see what I'm saying? You and I, we were made for a purpose. We were made for a purpose with an allegiance to another kingdom, but with a job to do on this earth. And if you and I fail to fulfill that purpose in this lifetime, we will naturally experience a sense of loss, a sense of emptiness, of restlessness, some sense that there must be more to the life that we're living. So I just want to say to you here today, if that's you, if you would be honest when you look deep down inside and you're like, I have a little bit of that, it may be the case that you are missing out on some purpose that God has prepared for you in this lifetime. And if you're here this morning and you would reject this premise, you would say, I actually don't believe that we were designed by a creator God or some supernatural force out there. I don't believe that I was made by design. Then the rest of this message really doesn't have any demand on your life. If you reject that premise that you were built by design for a purpose, the rest of this message can't make any demands on your life. But I would just challenge you, if that's you here today, because we're all here to grow and explore and learn together, if that's you, I just would encourage you to stop and to at least ask yourself the question, am I satisfied with my life? Do I feel fulfilled? Or is there something about the idea of living fully that is attractive to me because it feels like something's missing? Because if you feel that way, even if you reject that premise, you owe it to yourself to ask the question, could it be true? Could it be true that perhaps I was designed for a purpose? And you owe it to your ex yourself to explore that option. And wherever you're at in your journey, if you buy into that, that perhaps I was made for a purpose, our next question naturally has to be, okay, well, if I was made for a purpose, what is it? What is it? And Paul talks about that as well. He goes on to say this, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. 
He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Paul spends the previous verses talking about what it looks like to be unfulfilled and dissatisfied. He talks about the enemies of Christ. In other words, people who haven't yet accepted the gift of his forgiveness and therefore, rather than accept his purpose for their life, try and create their own. And he says, with tears and emotions, he's devastated and grieved by this. He says, they're just driven by their own whims and appetites, trying to create some purpose for themselves, but their end is destruction. In other words, they're destroying themselves from the inside out because they're separating themselves from the purpose that the Creator gave them. But on the contrary, he says, for us, for those of us who have accepted the grace of Jesus Christ, we are citizens of heaven. Paul suggests that we were made to build things that last. Did you notice what he says as he follows up in this? He says, we, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he'll bring everything under his control. Paul reminds the Philippians, he says, you were not only made for a purpose, you were made to live forever. That sense that you have in you, that this life is too finite, that there must be more than this, that sense is because you were made to live forever. And with that in view, with in view that you were designed for eternity, he says our purpose is to build things of eternal value, to build things that last. And someday, he says, the king is going to come back to his colony. In fact, what he says here, we are eagerly waiting for Jesus Christ to return as our savior. That word savior wasn't just a religious term back then. It was often used of emperors or political figures who would come and they would intervene and save their colonies or cities. And Paul is saying, we are eagerly looking forward to the day when our savior, our king, will come and join us here on earth. And when he does, he will set everything to right. He will set everything to right and he will transform us so that we can live in relationship with him forever. And if that's true, if it's true that you were designed for a purpose, on purpose, and that you were meant to live forever, then our job, our purpose in this lifetime is to take as many people over the finish line with us as we possibly can to share that good news with as many people as possible so that not only could we live fully in this lifetime, but that other people, our friends, our family, everyone we encounter would not have to suffer the fate of being driven by their whims, of having a half full life, but that they might join us. This is our purpose. Paul makes a pointed statement using the same language in Acts 20, 24. He says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul gets very pointed. He says the purpose of this race, the purpose of this race is to tell as many people about the good news of Jesus Christ as humanly possible because this is something that will last forever. And you and I were made to build things that last forever. And this is true. It completely changes how we measure our lives as well. The measure that we use to figure out how successful we've been in this life is changed if this is our purpose, to build things that last. 
I don't know about you, but I enjoy watching uh, the, the Olympics. And I actually really enjoy watching the Winter Olympics. In the Winter Olympics, one of my favorite sports to watch is the ice skating sports. Now, if you watch the Winter Olympics, you know that there are a couple different types of ice skating competitions. There's the speed skating competitions, and those are really fun to watch because those guys absolutely fly. Incredible to watch the speeds that they can get to on ice skates. So that's one of them. But the one that's my favorite is the figure skating. I just think it is the coolest thing to see people do all of these tricks on ice, things that I couldn't even do on like flat ground in my bare feet, never mind on skates. I mean, they do some incredible stuff on the ice, and each one is so creative. They put together these amazing sets full of different types of tricks, and it's incredible. And if you watch figure skating, you know that figure skating competitions are judged based on a variety of things, composition and skills, and then different points are given to different portions of a set to get to some kind of point total at the end. So figure skaters are judged based on the tricks that they perform. Now, if a speed skater hopped on the ice in a figure skating competition and just did their routine, they just flew around the track, despite the fact that they are very successful at what they do, they would be judged poorly. They would be judged poorly because they were not racing in the competition that they were meant to perform in. They were performing for the wrong competition. And they were performing for the wrong marker of success. This is somewhat like our lives are like. You and I oftentimes get so distracted by other markers of success that culture puts out for us and suggests will bring us happiness. It is so easy to get distracted by these. Financial success, success in your career, the respect of your peers or your coworkers or your children or your parents. And none of these are bad things, but they are finite. And they are not the primary purpose for which you and I were designed because they do not last forever. Paul is reminding the Philippians, you were made for an eternal kingdom. And as a colony of heaven here on earth, you are meant to be a representative of that world and help people encounter the full life that Jesus has for them so that lives can be changed, not just today, not just in this lifetime, but forever. It says, and these other things, they're not bad things, but they are not the thing that you were ultimately designed for, that matters most, the thing that lasts forever. Our primary purpose here on earth is to help people experience the full life Jesus Christ offers them because of his death and his resurrection. And this is a different kind of success because it lasts forever. And if we live our lives, if we invest our time according to our own measures of success, you may perform very well according to your rankings and your marking and your competition, but you will not gain the sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and deep peace and joy and excitement that comes with being a part of God's kingdom because that's what you were made for. And can I suggest that one of the reasons Paul's letter to the Philippians is so shot full of joy and energy and excitement, despite his challenging circumstances, is because Paul is experiencing the fulfillment of his purpose. That's why he says, I count my life nothing 
that I may run this race and achieve the end to tell as many people to testify to the goodness I have experienced in Christ. And he says it with energy and joy and excitement. Why? Because he is a man fulfilling his purpose. This is what you and I were made for, designed for, and destined for. And if you're here today and you have never encountered Jesus Christ, the first step to experiencing that eternal impact and fulfillment is stepping into a relationship, an eternal relationship with him. But if you're here today and say, I'm already a Christian, why am I feeling this way? It may just be that despite the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have lost sight of your ultimate purpose. So I just want to ask you this morning, when was the last time When was the last time you got excited because you saw eternal impact in somebody's life? In the life of a family member or a friend? When was the last time that you witnessed to somebody the joy you have experienced in Christ, the transformation you have experienced in your own life? When was the last time that you shared that with somebody? If it's been some time, it may be worth considering whether that's something to step into and whether it might be affecting the way that you're experiencing this life, because it may be the case that you and I are performing for the wrong competition, chasing after the wrong standard of success. This uh, past week, this past week, I had the great privilege of uh, joining our teenagers at Engage Camp in New York, our loft students from sixth to 12th grade. And, um, I, a couple things I just want to tell you about that. First of all, Cape Cod Church, you would be so proud of our students. Not just because they are awesome and kind and, and everything and the faith, but also because they are insanely competitive and they absolutely dominated on the field. It was a beautiful thing to watch. They took no prisoners. Our boys won the 3v3 basketball tournament. They won the flag football tournament. They lost a couple things, but they won the important things. And our girls, I'm just going to say this. There is a game that we play called Tube Tug in which there are four teams around a square. The goal of the game, there's a giant stack of inner tubes in the middle, and the goal of the game is to get as many of those tubes onto your team's finish line and end goal as you can. And that's pretty much all the rules. You can run, so what you end up doing is tugging tubes over to your side, and you end up dragging other girls. And I'll just say this, the Cape Cod Church girls, they were dragging a lot of other girls over the finish line. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> Afterwards, Johnny came up to me and he was like, if we were in one of those scenarios where you have to select like one candidate in a fight to the death to like represent your church, he goes, I might choose one of the loft women over one of the loft dudes. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) They absolutely crushed it. And our leaders, our leaders left everything on the field in a more metaphorical sense. It is an exhausting week, I'm not going to lie. Day one, we got there. I was tired. I felt it in my bones, but I didn't know what was in store. That first night, our fan died. I was pretty hot, so I was a little bit tired on day two. I packed six cold brews. I almost ran out by Thursday of all of my cold brews. Day three, I was so tired that I fell asleep at night in my gym clothes with a giant Canon camera on my chest because I had been looking through photos. I just fell asleep like that. I woke up at 2 a.m. and was like, where am I? I'm at camp, of course I am. (laughs) Day four, a student dunked a dodgeball through a small basketball hoop onto my face. 
I'm not going to tell you what, stu- what leader positioned that basketball hoop over my head. I'm just going to say, Seth Franco, you're lucky you're not dead. I got a dodgeball to the face. Day four, someone started a rumor that I was 39 years old. I think it's because I was starting to slow down, and honestly, that's fair. I'm not 39 years old, just, just to be clear. Man, I was tired. Day four in the afternoon, one of our interns comes up to me and she goes, Britt, do you think it's safe if I mix this electrolyte packet with this energy drink packet? And I was like, Heidi girl, I don't know, but you do what you gotta do because we are making it through this week. We were tired. But do you know what I want to tell you, Cape Cod Church? Despite the fact that I was exhausted, despite the fact that it was an epic week of fun and we were so tired, despite the fact that I was so exhausted that I could barely keep my eyelids open by Friday, I felt more alive at our summer camp this summer than I do most days. And do you know why that is? Last week, I got to sit down with multiple students and walk them through a prayer to accept Jesus Christ as their savior. That is something of eternal value and impact. And that changes everything. It takes the mundane and the ordinary of a dodgeball game, and it turns it into something of stunning, everlasting value. I got to hear stories, and I got to sit down with some of our sixth grade students who've grown up in this church, who've walked through Kidstown, whose parents have discipled them, who finally decided, I get it. I'm at the age, I want to own this. I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I want to accept his gift of forgiveness and walk in new life. I talked with some of our 10th grade girls who I have known since they were 11 years old, who for all of these years have just been steadily, patiently asking questions, wrestling with doubts, unsure what they thought about Jesus. And this year, they just got to the point, multiple girls, like, you know what, I'm actually, I... I think I'm ready. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to walk in new life. I want a taste of that full life that he offers. Cape Cod Church, can I just tell you, there is no greater privilege to sit down with a young woman, a young man who has made that decision and to pray with them to accept Jesus into their life, to walk in new power in this lifetime, to have a new future in the next. It changes everything. That's why I think Paul's so energized in this letter. He's living it out, he's seeing God at work, and he is doing something of eternal impact. So this morning, I just wanna ask you, where are you at? When you look deep into your heart, do you have a sense of energetic fulfillment, of deep peace and excitement? Or do you feel a little bit of restlessness, a little bit of dissatisfaction? And if you do, here's my challenge to you. You might just consider that you were designed on purpose for a purpose. That you were designed to build something that lasts, something of eternal value. And each of us has the opportunity to make that impact in our lives with our friends and our family. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but here are some suggestions that you can take with you. One, I would pray. Pray that God would give you opportunities in your life to testify to the change that he has created in your life. Pray that he would give you opportunities with your friends and with your family to share the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Second, get involved. This church matters because it is making an eternal impact. And those of you who volunteer in our ministry teams who do everything from serving a cup of coffee to being a coach in one of our sports camps, you are making an eternal impact. It's why I love being a part of this community. Get involved in something that matters, something that has eternal value. And last, I would say, if you're here this morning and you say, I have never experienced that new life that you're talking about, the first step, into an eternity of impact is stepping into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you would say, I have, I'm sick of this feeling in my soul that there's more, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and I want the life that he offers all it requires is a moment of faith to accept his gift of forgiveness. And I wanna give you the opportunity to do that this morning. So Cape Cod Church, will you bow with me? with heads bowed and eyes closed. I just wanna take a moment of prayer, a little bit of solitude and quiet so that you can check up on your heart. To look down and to see, am I satisfied with my life? Is there a restlessness in my soul? And if so, why is that there? And if you're here this morning, and you want to experience something more than that, more than this life, I'd love to give you the opportunity to do that. There's no magic words that you need to say. It's just a relationship with your Savior. Romans is very clear. It says, if you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth and it is made unto salvation, meaning that God brings you into his family, the king comes back to the colony. He intervenes, he saves you, he rescues you, and he promises to walk with you forever, now and into eternity. And all it requires is to accept his gift. So if that's you here this morning, you might say something like this. Father, you know me. You know everything about me. You know all of my faults and my failures and my, and my mistakes, and I admit that there have been many. But I believe that you love me, that Jesus proved it on the cross, that you gave your life for mine so that I could have a relationship with you despite the fact that I have wandered. Today, I wanna to accept that gift of forgiveness. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for the gift of your son. Help me to experience the full life you have to offer. Help me to walk with you and thank you for inviting me into your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.